Pray with me, will you? Father, we're grateful for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to come into this place and to worship you. I pray, God, that you use me just now, Lord, and that you speak through me and that the words that I say would be words that come from you, God. And so as we study about this armor and as we study about the things that you've given us to prepare us, we pray, Lord, that we would take it to heart and we would walk with you and we praise you and we thank you. And all of God's people together said, amen. Well, today I want to talk to you a little bit about the armor of God and the topic is what we wear to war. I think sometimes that we take for granted the things and the opportunities that we have as Christian people. And sometimes I think we just need to be reminded. Have you ever been just beat up spiritually? Anybody here ever been just beat up? You just feel like, man, what in the world is going on? Well, you know, the Bible gives us some instructions of some things that can help us through those times. We live in uncertain times, and we live in times when it seems like that there's challenges on every hand, that all of us are facing something that we have to deal with. I want to talk to you today about this passage. It's taken out of the book of Ephesus, Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and he just quoted verses 10 through 18, and this book was written to a church in a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus was a town that Paul had visited And he preached there, and there were many, many, many converts. A lot of Gentiles were in this city that were converted to Christianity. It was a revival that had happened. And as you know, Paul's life moved on, and Paul wound up in prison. And he's in Rome. Now get this. He's in Rome in prison, and he wrote four letters. And one of those letters that he wrote was to the church at Ephesus. Now, if I was in prison, I would probably, especially for preaching the gospel, I don't know what I'd do. I hope I would be like Paul, but I probably would feel a little sorry for myself. You know what I'm saying? And But he didn't do that. Paul thought about his brothers and sisters in the Lord, and he began to write to encourage them. He not only wrote to them, but he wrote to the uh, Colossians and the Philippians. We studied that a couple of weeks ago. And he wrote to Philemon, and he wrote these letters of encouragement because they were being persecuted. And so he gives instructions. He tells them that the gospel is a universal gospel. Great news, isn't it? You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be from a certain neighborhood, or you don't have to be a certain kind of person. It's a universal gospel. It's for all of mankind. And that's one of the themes that you find in this book. And he talks about his friends that are there, and he encourages them to keep the faith. He talks about how Christians should walk how we should talk. He talks about marriage a little bit, about men and husband and wives, men and women loving each other as husbands and wives. And then he goes into this passage here in the sixth chapter, and he talks about a spiritual battle. He talks about putting on some armor, something that you take to heart that you can do to fend off the arrows of the devil. You ever had any arrows thrown at you? Feel like the devil's just beating you up? Well, I want you to mark this passage of Scripture in your Bible, and I want you to go back to this, because I remember as a kid hearing this, and I, you know, I love the Lone Ranger. Any of you old enough to remember the Lone Ranger? Yeah. And so I remember those movies, you know, where you had heroes, and and you'd see these people that were victorious, you know, and everybody wants to be a winner, right? But sometimes things beat us up, you know? And so this passage is key. I want you to mark this, and I want you to go back to this in your life, because I go back to it frequently. You know, in in 1775, there's a church that sits in Boston, and it's called the Old North Church. 
And uh, I don't know if any of you have ever been up to Boston, but it's up there. It's in, it's in, the, it's in the community. And uh, there was an event that took place at this church in 1775. Some of you teachers that are history teachers may know what I'm getting ready to tell you here. Uh, it's a very popular story. There was an event that took place when a man named Paul Revere uh, made a historical ride on a horse. Now, this isn't Paul Revere and the Raiders from the 60s, you all. This is Paul Revere in 1775. He made a historical ride on a horse. He didn't want his countrymen to get caught unaware of a battle that was coming. And he knew that the enemy was coming, but he wasn't sure if it was going to be by land or by sea how this attack was going to take place. But when he saw the lanterns in the windows of the Old North Church, he knew where they were coming from. And so then he took off on this horse. You guys know the story, right? And he rode through the cities, and he yelled, The British are coming. Yes, the British are coming. And I remember studying that in school and seeing the pictures. He's bent down, and he's yelling. got on that really cool hat, you know. And he's yelling, The British is coming. And today, I want to tell you that there's a war going on. And it's not that the British are coming, but it's a spiritual warfare And the devil is already here. Somebody say amen. We deal with it daily. You know, uh, in Genesis, we read a story about the devil in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, right? And the Bible refers to the the devil as a snake. Now, if you're a, a person that enjoys snakes, I'm happy for you. But I just... I'm not one of those people. Snakes kind of freak me out. You know what I mean? I don't want to be in a room with them. If I see one, I run. And if I'm on, you know, uh, a trail or something, I'll go completely around the other way to get away from a snake. It's an interesting thing about a snake. They'll bite you. Now, I've never been bit by a snake, and I thank God for that. But they will bite you. And in 1999, there was a study put out by the New England Journal of Medicine. It was about snake bites. And it turns out that 15% of people being admitted for snake bites are bitten by a dead snake. I didn't know that. They could bite you, did you? And so it turns out that it's a reflex for a dead snake to bite for a short period of time after it's dead. Uh, This gives me the willies. I'm sitting sitting in my office, and, 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 and somebody walked in, and I jumped, man. I was reading this, and they said, can't I jump just thinking about this? But these snakes, even if you cut their head off of a rattlesnake, did you know it will bite you up to an hour after it's, it's, been, it's been decapitated? That's just nasty, right? Why in the world is he telling us this this morning? He's waking us up on Sunday morning. Here's why I'm telling you that, because the Bible refers to Satan as a snake, and he will bite you, and he will get, come after you. And I tell you this, while Satan was defeated at Calvary, and what Jesus did on the cross defeated Satan, we still must guard against him. I don't take that lightly. You know, in today's time, I, I, I even have people sometimes that say, well, I don't believe in all that stuff. And I say, well, you know, the Bible teaches that, and the Bible talks about that, talks about Satan being cunning, and, and even so much that he even came to Jesus. What is up with that? You know, if I'm going to get my car fixed, I'm going to go to an expert. If I'm going to go to a, uh, get sick, I'm going to go to a doctor. And so when we talk about this spiritual thing, and we talk about fighting the wars of the devil, nobody that I can think of has more experience than the Apostle Paul. 
Here's a guy who went from one extreme to the other. I mean, this is the guy, as I've said before, that persecuted the church, was there when things were happening uh, against the church, and now he's made a complete turn. And Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He says this, The weapons that we use in our fight are not made by humans. Rather, they are powerful weapons from God. With them, we destroy people's defenses, that is, their arguments. See, I think so many times when we get in spiritual warfare, the problem is we try to fight it on our own. And we don't have to do that. We have a God that loves us and cares about us. And you know, Satan's biggest fear is the weapons that God has provided for us. Check this out. This passage of Scripture that we just read, Paul gives us instructions on what to wear daily. Catch that word, daily. These are things that we should do daily, folks. And it's a six-piece outfit. Six pieces in this outfit. And as I read this, it occurred to me that five of the pieces are defensive things that we use, and one is an offensive thing. So I understand what Paul was saying is that we are under attack as I read this. No news to you, right? No shocker that we are under attack. And this passage refers to flaming arrows that he hurls at those of us. Arrows are flying everywhere, but you and I can defeat these arrows with the armor of God. Well, that's good news, isn't it? That's good news. None of these arrows can reach us if we use the whole armor. Each piece is designated to ward off a particular arrow. So as I go through these, I want you to think about that, and I want you to maybe think about what arrow might be coming your way, and look at one of these passages or one of these verses that might be able to help you this week. That's the whole point of this. So as we begin, we look at the, uh, the first one in verse 14, and Paul says to put on the belt of truth for the arrow of deception. He says, fasten truth around your waist like a belt. It's interesting to notice, as you do a study of soldiers at this time, the belt was a thing that went around the middle part here, much like what we wear. But interesting part of this is that on a soldier, every piece that was connected was connected to that belt. And it is a key piece. And you can't build anything unless it's on truth. Amen? If you start to build something in your life and you build it on a lie, it's not going to end well probably. So you build this with the belt of truth. After the soldier would put his belt on, he would fasten the long robe and tuck it in the belt so that he wouldn't be hindered when it came to battle. This belt represents the word of truth, the word of God. Put on the belt of truth to defend the arrows. Ephesians 1.13 says that it is the word of truth. John 17.7 says, your word is truth, Lord. And so my question today is for each of us, and this this goes for me too, because I'm walking in shoes just like you are. How much time do we spend in the Word of God each week? How much time do we spend on a daily basis reading the Scripture? Because it is the belt of truth. It's the thing that everything else hangs on as far as the rest of the armor that we fight the devil with. You know, the Bible says that Satan is a liar. The truth isn't in him. The fact of the matter is, if the Lord can get our attention, or if the devil can get our attention off of the Lord, that's the beginning, isn't it? 
It's the beginning. Think about it. The Garden of Eden. The temptation was, oh, it's not that bad. It's okay. Just, just go ahead. Try it. I can hear those words. In my life, many, many times I've heard those words. And many times I've caved in. But as we read the scripture, we find ourselves drawn closer to the presence of the Lord in our lives. 1 Timothy 4 says that the Spirit says clearly that in the latter times, some believers will desert the faith. Have you ever really thought about it? Satan has a doctrine. He does. He has a doctrine. And it's of deception and lies. Yes, there's something real in the world today called false doctrine. And we hear about it. We see about it. It reminds me of a story of a little boy that was in Sunday school and The teacher brought up the concept of false doctrine. She said, does anybody know what false doctrine is? And the little boy said, well, it's when the doctor gives you the wrong stuff and people get sick. A lot of truth in that, isn't there? A lot of truth in that. There is a truth to that because false doctrine does hinder us from drawing closer to God. And we need to be reminded as we read the scripture and put on the belt of of truth daily. The book is true. The Bible is true. This book is not God's word because it's true. It's true because it's God's word. Yeah. God does not say something because it's true. God says it's true. That's true because he says it. Let me say that again. God does not say something because it's true. Something is true because God says it. And if the Bible says it, I believe it. I remember hearing a story about Billy Graham when he went to college. And, and there, you know, when you get in college, sometimes you're challenged with things and ideas. And I remember first time I went to a theology class, and the professor said, Now, boys, I'm going to tell you, if you come in here to confirm what you learned in Sunday school, you're in the wrong class. And it was a challenge, and it went forward. Now, he wasn't trying to destroy our faith. What he was trying to do was build our faith. And what he said to us was, when we graduated, he said, I wanted to show you that as you go out into the world, it's better that you confront these things in a classroom and that you learn what you believe and why you believe it. So when you do go out there, you can fight the the lies that will be coming against you. And you see, as Christians, we must realize that we are in spiritual warfare, folks. And the devil is doing everything he can to try to destroy the church, the gospel message, and anything that has to do with Christianity. Somebody say amen. Satan is the original liar. He loves to direct his lies towards discrediting the Bible and the words of truth. The Bible contains what I would consider as dynamite to defeat him. That's why daily we should stay in the word of God. I'm not preaching this at you. I'm preaching this with you. I hope it comes across that way. That's the intent of my heart is to remind you as well as myself that we should stay in the word and we should put that belt on, that belt of truth. So we go to the next piece of armor and it talks about the breastplate of righteousness for the approval, the arrows of disapproval. Now this is an interesting piece of armor. This piece of armor covers the torso. Isn't that a really cool way he did this? I, 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 don't, I didn't have anything to do with this. I asked him if he could put this together, and he's been adding these pieces all week, and it's pretty slick the way he came up with this. It's the torso area. covers right here, and that's really important. You know why? Why would you think this part right here would be important? The heart. The heart. 
the heart is where the real battle begins, isn't it? Everything that I've ever done in my life that I've made a big mistake on or I've made a good mistake on, it begins with a heart. Because the heart is where the battlefield of war starts. The heart represents the essence of what we are and who we are. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so he is. It's true. It's true. As we think, as we think we're going to succeed, we'll succeed. If we think we're going to fail, sure enough, we're going to fail if you dwell on it long enough. And Satan begins by attacking us. He loves to bring up our past, to just accuse us and to cause us to lose heart. That's why that breastplate of righteousness is important. I'll tell you the biggest struggle that I have. This is personal, transparent, but that's who I am. The biggest struggle that I have that Satan brings up to me is my past. I mention it to you frequently in here. It's something that he brings up to me all the time. But my past is just that, and so is yours. It is the past. And if God has forgiven us, we can go forward in the breastplate of righteousness to cover our heart. God gives us that. Isn't that good? Man, that's good news today. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, this is all new to you, I want to tell you something. You're carrying around baggage about the past, carrying around baggage about the things in your life. God moves them away from us if we ask him to forgive us. He forgives us and they're gone. And the breastplate of righteousness is something that we should use to fight that. When God saves you, he declares you righteous once and for all. Amen and amen. And we call that in theological terms justification. Justification is what God does for us when we confess him in our lives. We're justified before a mighty God, a holy God, and we're made right. Man, that's good news. It's something that we couldn't do for ourselves, but it's something that God did for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. But there's more to this thing. There's more to this. God wants to manifest himself in our lives In your life and in my life, daily, he wants to manifest himself. You've seen it in other people, haven't you? You've seen God manifest. You've felt it in your life if you're a Christ follower. Where did that come from? And we call that in theological terms justification. God both sanctifies us and justifies us. We need both types of those righteousness in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God had Christ, who was sinless, take our sin so that we might receive God's approval through him. And so when those things come up in our past, when the accuser comes up and says, I know who you are, I know what you did, I know where you were, you say, in the name of Jesus, get away from me. It's a battle. It's real. And we can fight it with the breastplate of righteousness that God gives us. You know, uh, when Satan comes to us, Here's what you need to say. Satan, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, and nothing you can say or do will ever change that. Satan, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, and nothing you can do or say will ever change that. We should put on the breastplate of righteousness. The third part of this piece of equipment is the gospel of peace for the arrows of dissension. I think the King James says, have your feet with, uh, fed, uh, shod with the preparation of the gospel. Having your feet prepared. Feet or uh, uh, shoes are a part of this in battle. 
We're told to put on our shoes and to spread the good news that gives peace. Now, I've got to tell you something. Sometimes, church folks, we don't do that. I'm getting quiet now, ain't it? Because it's easy. See, Satan, if he can get us to split against each other and turn on each other and talk about each other and cause dissension, we've all seen what that can do, haven't we? I was talking to somebody this week, and, I, and we were talking, and I said, you know, I've never seen a split in a church or a problem between two Christians or dissension, but what it wasn't something that started over somebody wanting their way. Yeah. Peace. We're to be peacemakers as Christ followers. Without good shoes, you can't stand, literally, to fight the battle. I, movie Forrest Gump. You guys remember that movie, Forrest Gump? Remember when they arrived in Vietnam, and uh, what was his name? Gary Sinise was, the, was Captain Dan, and, and he's telling them the rules, and he says, whatever you do, change your socks. I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, that's kind of strange. But then he goes on to talk about it. You've got to keep your feet in good shape. And you know what? As Christians, we have to keep our feet in good shape in this illustration of reading in the gospel and be, being prepared to make peace. We're supposed to be the peacemakers, not those that stir it up. In fact, Roman soldiers, talking about shoes, had metal plates on the bottom of their shoes, kind of like a golf cleat or a baseball cleat. So when they were on wet ground, they could stand firm and they weren't knocked over. We have to keep our footing to be effective in battle, don't we? You can't win a battle when you're knocked on your back. The spiritual warfare is different because you are, and I are serving a God and that's causing the devil a lot of heartache. You ever notice that? Since you started following the Lord, uh, I've had people say, well, you know, I got saved. I thought it was going to be easier. Woof. It is easier in one respect, but it doesn't mean that things just fall together and the world's a better place. I mean, hopefully it's better because of our beliefs, but we still fight and we still struggle. But God helps us in these times, and we can defend Peace, and we can be peacemakers, and that's what we're supposed to be as Christ followers. When you are at, and I are at peace with God, you have the peace of God, and you can handle what the devil throws at you with God. The fourth part of this outfit is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. It'll defeat the arrows of doubt. Interesting thing about these shields at the time, I, I did a little research on this. And these shields were made out of leather. And they were made out of leather. And, and so what they would do is they would take these shields and they would soak them in water. Now, can you imagine how heavy leather is to begin with? And then you soak it in water. That adds extra weight, right? You know why they did that? Because the arrows were soaked in a, in a flammable thing and wrapped with, with cloth. And they would light them and fire them flaming. And so here comes these arrows, could be, you know, lethal, but also they were flaming, and so they needed something to put the fire out. And so they would hold these shields, and they could hit it, and they were wet, and they would stop it. The shield of faith. You see that analogy? Isn't that beautiful? That analogy that as we walk with the Lord, as we've put these pieces of our armor on, and we grow in faith, doubt. We can, we can fight doubt. We can fight those things off. The Bible teaches that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I talked with somebody about it six months ago, 
and said, you know, I just can't buy all that stuff you're talking about. I just, don't, I just don't buy that. I don't have any faith. I've never had any faith. If I can't see it, touch it, smell it, I don't believe in it. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God loves you? Well, you know, and then he started bending a little bit on me about this truth, about this thing about the gospel. I said, well, you know, for everything that you see, there was a cause, Let's start there. Let's, let's just start there, I said to him. And I said, the fact is, and I think we were sitting in a kitchen, and I said, see this table? And I said, this table's here because somebody made it. He happened to be a carpenter, so I knew that would kind of resonate with him. I said, so that means there was a carpenter somewhere. And he said, well, there was a factory somewhere that mass-produced it. But yeah, you're right. It came from somewhere, didn't it? And so you see, as we start our journey of faith, sometimes it's very small. But as we read the Scripture and as we pray and as we seek God, those things of doubt gets smaller and smaller. If, place, if faith pleases God, what do you think doubt does? The devil loves nothing more than to get God's people to doubt. He'll try to get you to doubt his word, to doubt church, doubt the sincerity of people, doubt your faith, doubt my faith. You know, I'm not sure it's wrong to doubt. But I think it's wrong when we continue to doubt Does that make sense? Because sometimes we'll have things that will come into our lives, and you think, man, I'm not sure about that. And so what do we do with that? Put that armor on. Get the word out. Read the scripture. Get your shield of faith. And proclaim what God has given you to use against him. See, if Satan gets us to doubt, he gets a foothold. It's important that we stay in the word. Romans ten seventeen says it's so important that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Many times I've taken up the shield of feeling instead of faith. Yeah, you know, I just don't feel good. I don't feel like, you know, like I'm, you know, you know what I'm talking about? But the Bible says that the just shall live by faith, not feeling. We should take up our shield of faith. I'm going to take God at his word and live according to the truth, should be our mantra. The shield of faith will ward off the arrows of doubt. How do you think Paul could sit in this prison and write these words if he wasn't doing what these things say, these scriptures? And then the fifth one is the helmet of salvation for the arrows of discouragement. It's easy to get discouraged, especially when you're doing the Lord's work. If we don't keep our eyes on the prize, we can get discouraged. Why? Because all of these other things that we've been talking about, we get attacked with it. Have you ever tried to do something for the Lord, like teach a class, do a ministry in a church, serve the church? What's the first thing that happens sometimes? You get sick? (laughs) Well, that can happen, I guess, but sometimes we get discouraged, don't we? Why? Because things aren't always so easy, we have to work at it a little bit, put a little effort into it. Two prime targets are our head and our heart. That's why we need this helmet. This helmet can protect our, our heads. Because Satan tries to get in our head sometimes. See, I told you this kind of thing was going to happen if you do that. If you take that church, I told you, not everybody was going to like you. I, you see, if, if you do this, you preach this, and they're not going to like you. And it gets in your head, and next thing you know, you know, especially when you've got problems like I do, that there's a lot of room up there. You've got to pull back and say, wait a minute. Lord, help me, show me, speak to me. 
The helmet of salvation is knowing that you have accepted Christ into your life. And he has led you to do what you're doing. And don't you back up. Don't you back her up. Accept Christ for what he did and what he said and what he said he would do. Accept that. I heard a story one time years ago. I grew up in the, in the country church. Anybody here know what I'm, when I say country church? Let me explain to you what that is. We had slatted pews. You know what slatted pews are? They're pews that when you're sitting next to somebody and they get up, you better be careful because if they get up too quick, you get, and you'll be a shouting Baptist. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I grew up in a church. We had revival every year. Every year we'd have a spring revival. I grew up in a church where we had a, a, a canopy outside with picnic tables. We'd have an all-day dinner with a singing on the, uh, all-day singing with a dinner on the ground. You know, everybody would bring a potluck dish. And we had these revivals every year. And sometimes these revivals would start, go for a day or two, a week. They'd give a three-day calendar. And then all of a sudden, man, the thing would break out. And it, sometimes they'd go for a week. Can you imagine what would happen today if we did that? Break out for a week. Sometimes it went for two weeks. Turns out, down in Tennessee, this is a true story. There was a lady that come to these revivals every year. And then preachers would preach, man, they'd shout and jump and run and foam at the mouth and go at it. You know what I'm saying? And this lady would come to church every year, and when he'd give the invitation, she'd come to the altar and she would pray. And the preacher would pray with her, and everybody would pray with her, and they'd say, can we help you? And she'd say, I want to be saved. And every year she would get up in those revivals, and she would say she wasn't saved. And finally, one year, they called a fellow in, and he, uh, he walked with the Lord. Really, not that the others didn't, but he, this guy was really on fire and walked with the Lord. About the third night, this lady come forward, and he went over there, and he prayed with her, and, and uh, he was talking to the guys that already told him in the church, said what was happening. He said, now she's going to come forward because she's done this for years. So he went over there and got down beside her, and he said, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture to you. And she said, all right. He said, do you believe this is the word of God? Do you believe it's true? She said, I do. I do. I believe it. I believe it. He said, let me read something to you. And he read 1 John 1, 9. And it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said, do you believe that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I believe that. He said, all right, pray with me. Prayed. He said, did you accept Christ? She said, I'm not saved. He said, Stop. They're still singing just as I am. They're on the 13th verse by now. This is going on. (laughs) He says, I want to ask you a question. I want you to listen to me. Do you believe this is the word of God? Oh, yeah, I believe it's true. I believe every word of it. Read this to you. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he will forgive us you of your sins have you confessed your sins she said yay he said are you saved she said i don't think so he said hold on i'm going to read this to you one more time you told me you believe this is the truth you told me that you believe this is the word of god and that it's true and it says if we confess our sins He'll forgive us. And you said that you've confessed your sins, that you've accepted Jesus, that you've confessed him and you want to accept him. He said, do you believe that? And she said, oh, my gosh, I get it. Listen, folks, all of these years, this lady 
was holding up the shield of feeling. She was holding up in her mind what she thought it was supposed to be like. The Bible is very clear about disbelief. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us. There's not one sin that you've committed or going to commit that he hasn't already died for and paid for it on that cross. (laughs) That's good news today. That's good news. This armor, this last weapon, is the sword of the Spirit to fight the arrows of disbelief. This is the last weapon, and it's a weapon of offense. This is an offensive weapon that we can take Satan on with to fight him when he comes to us and tells us that things aren't going to be our way with God. You see, we're not always going to be on the defense. Sometimes we're going to be on the offense. The sword of the Spirit, when we take up Satan, has a defense. General Patton, the great soldier, said, you can't win a war by attacking people. You win a war by attacking people from the front, not by coming around from the back. The Roman sword, the thing that he's talking about, the sword of the Spirit, was a double-edged sword cut both ways. And God's Word in Hebrews 4.12 says... God's word is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts deep as the place where the soul and the spirit meet, the place where the joints and the marrow meet. God's word judges a person's thoughts and intentions. So you think about this. I think about this. We have a, a weapon that can help us defend against everything that Satan throws against us and has to offer. Somebody say amen. That's good news. You know, uh, the problem is sometimes I keep my sword in the holder. Just remember it's there. Don't forget what you have and what's available. There was an article in the Atlanta Journal written in 2001. It says, the Bible remains to be the best-selling book every year, but many people know little about it. Remember when Jay Leno had the Tonight Show? Was it Tonight Show? Yeah, it was Tonight Show, wasn't it? He would do this thing where he'd walk out in the audience, or sometimes they'd do it out on the sidewalk. I loved those. I always liked watching that because it scared me. I was afraid I was going to get caught if I was in L.A. out there, and he'd ask me a question. I'd look like an idiot. I got that down pretty good anyway, looking like an idiot, right? Jay Leno's <laughs> Jay Leno was uh, walking through the audience, and he thought he would just kind of see what people knew about the Bible. So he, he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, name one of the commandments. He walked over to the guy. You know how he had the mic, and he put it up there, and the guy said, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> he asked another question. He said, can anybody name one of the apostles, name an apostle in the Bible by name? Nobody knew one of the names. After asking several biblical questions, he asked him, he said, can you name one of the members of the Beatles? To which a person said, John, Rango, George, and Paul. Named them all. It's interesting that we live in a society that says we trust in God, but yet we know so little about him. The same article said that on occasion, the Bible is read uh, in 1970 and 1980. He said the people reading the Bible had declined by 73% or had read from 73% to to 59% in the 80s. Let me say that again. Readers of the Bible had declined from 73% in 1980 to 59% in 2000. Only 16% of Christians say they read their Bibles every day. So what are we wearing to war? 
What did we wear in the war? Why did you preach this message, Kent? Why did you bring this to our attention? This is not to call you out, not to call me out, but it's to remind us we are Christ followers. And he loves you. And he loves me. And he wants us to be victorious. And you know what? There's going to be things that happen in our lives. And I can't explain that. I can't tell you the times, even before I took the role as the pastor, where I've sat with people, and they've looked me in the eye and said, why? Why, Kent? I don't have that answer. But I have this answer. Who? Who we can turn to. And what we can turn to for hope. And that's the Lord and his word. Amen? Today, we're going to do a time of invitation. I'm going to ask the singers to come. And I want to remind you that this is a time where we come and we pray. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm not trying to lay anything heavy on you. I'm just saying to you this. If there's something heavy on your heart, this is a time to get rid of the junk. As I read this passage of scripture, I realized that I need to sharpen, sharpen up on some of the areas of this armor. I hope that as we study this together and as I've pointed some of these things out, that you've been encouraged to draw closer to the Lord. I know many of you wear the armor. Many of you, many of you set an example for me. Perhaps today you're here and you're not a Christ follower. You'd like to start that. Remember that story I told you about the lady? 1 John 1, 9. All you have to do is confess. And he'll take you just as you are. He's mighty to save is the song that we sang about a while ago. One final observation about this armor. I thought about it as I read this, and I thought about the offensive weapons, and I thought about most of them being, you know, defensive weapons. And and one of the things that occurred to me, one of the things that occurred to me, there's nothing on your back. There's nothing on the back of this soldier. And then I realized, God's got our back. He's got your back. Stand with me, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church of people that he loved and to us, the church universal. Even though these many years later, even though we're talking about antiquated equipment, In the sense of the times, Lord, it's still relevant because it speaks to where we are and who we are. And so I pray, God, as we come to this time of our service, of worship, I pray, God, that you will be honored and that people will be drawn to you, Lord Jesus, because you do love us. You love us enough to give us these things to equip ourselves, to stand against the things that bring us heartache and trouble in this world. So as we enter this time, Lord, may you be honored, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.